shows in Hostel City, USA. It's the Rock and Wrestling Connection Podcast. Hey now, brother. We're going to talk about rock. We're going to talk about wrestling. We're going to talk rock and wrestling. We're on the air. All right, guys. A few days off the big AEW pay-per-view. Uh, I might be getting topless a little bit later in the episode, but uh, we'll see how it goes. We have a guest in the studio with us tonight. All right. Uh, he's been on the road with tons of bands, Bloodhound Gang, Stray Light Run. He now works at one of the most famous concert venues, the Theater of Living Arts, with us today, Tom Martin. Woo! Yes, Tom. It smells like a goat's concert in here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just uh, give you a little history of the TLA. The TLA opened up in 1908. It had 700 people uh, at that point, and the capacity kind of stayed like that all the way up until about the 2000s when they, they built a uh, upstairs, which uh, a lot of different things happened in between. In the 70s, it was a movie theater. Um, but even before that, um, Ann and Logan Ramsley were running it as like a theater company. Ann Ramsley, you might remember, was Mama from Throw Mama from the Train. Oh. Ellen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it was a movie theater, and then... Uh, Alan Spivak bought it in 1987, and Larry Maggot started uh, booking the concerts there, and it is what we know it as today. It's a little, little Philadelphia history yeah, from uh, Jason. Nice. What's it like to work at the TLA? It's not hectic at all. South Street's a very beautiful street. The shows we have are very, like, SoundCloud-ish. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, I worked We're very there. busy. I worked there for 15 years, and uh, three of the years I worked there, we were... Uh, one and or two for most shows like we did like 300 shows a year 200 and something shows a year three years in a row and it's an incredible venue i mean you see every band you can imagine you see them on their way up you see them on their way down like what's that like working that huge schedule i'm brain dead i'm i'm blessed to have this year off kind of because discombobulated from 2000 i can't even speak i'm stuttering 2019 Probably did like 220 shows between all the venues in 2019, so it's good to breathe fresh air and not have to worry about certain things at shows. I worked at every venue in Philadelphia, and that was definitely the most fun I ever had. Like you said, I mean, uh, one day it's Fallout Boy, like the next day it's Crocus, and like it's an incredible time every time setting them up and taking them down. What's your uh, favorite DMX story? <laughs> well. There's a lot of them. What about you guys? You've, uh, Jay, you've been to the TLA a bunch. I've been to the TLA a bunch. I have uh, feel like I've known Tom for a long time, and I've only seen him at wrestling shows. <laughs> did, you know, did you know he actually worked in the music business? It worked I, out did, the I had whole, no clue. <laughs> it actually worked out for the whole rock and wrestling thing. That's right. It's amazing. So what was it like uh, You know, transitioning from the fan to the... GM, I guess production manager. Production you're manager. You're now the on the other side of the barricade. It's interesting. Um, being in bands for many years and like doing sound, it's interesting doing the production side of it and seeing like the real life shit hmm. with artists. Uh, haircuts. Haircuts. Is this just going to be about DMX? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if, like, an artist won't go on stage until they get a banana, there's been people that, uh, Bobby, Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream, he wouldn't go on until they got him some potassium. I thought they were going to ask for um, 
Coke. So I had that, the Chinese delivery guy, I was waiting for it to be outside. But instead I had to go to the bodega and get him a banana because yeah. of his potassium intake. So How many times cool. have you heard, no blow, no show? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'll have to say, some of my favorite shows working About at the TLA was, um, what was that? About 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> One time we did a run of Cheap Trick shows. They did like three nights in a row. They played a different album each night and then a set of hits. That was a pretty awesome night. Um, Tesla played the uh, TLA one time. They brought I forgot, in. A, I forgot you worked there. They brought in a drum riser. It was like the drum riser they used at the Spectrum. And actually, um, the guitar player, um, what's it? Tommy Skias. He, um, it was a rough night for him. Well, he was, uh, no, I think, no. banging like two girls in the room, and then Court the down. other guitar player broke the door down like with his foot, and so Malcolm, you know, and I, we had to replace the door the next day, and then he like after like all this chaos ensued between him, his bandmates, and these girls, he started taking Heineken bottles and just throwing them against the wall on Cater Street. Is that the street? In the Cater back? Street. Yeah. I mean, it was just a rough night that Tesla night. That was what. You don't have to tell us any names because you still have a job, unlike me. But, like, is there times when you just have to, like, shuffle these artists out of the building? You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, since it's all different kinds of genres, you have to shuffle them out different ways. It's very psychological. Um, going back to Tesla, I was playing a show in Dallas in 1999, and the band I was in at the time was playing during the day, and at night was a band called Sofa King, which was Jeff Keith and Tommy Skiash from Tesla. And... So it was like 1999, Busta Nut came out four years later, which is a terrible Tesla record, by the way. And they didn't have like heavy metal guitars. They had like Mustangs and Jaguars. So it sounded like Sonic Youth, but they were playing Tesla songs. And I was super excited to see Tommy Skiach at the end of the bar. I was like, hey, Tommy, I saw you in 1989 at the Palace of Auburn Hills with Badlands and Great White. He's like, I don't give a fuck. Get me a drink. That was Tommy Skiach. And then there was a fight because all Jeff Keith's friends from Oklahoma started fighting in the bar. It's pretty surreal. But I, I love Tesla. When uh, the TLA opened in 1988, they did like two Jane's Addiction shows like uh, in the first 100 days. One um, Little Caesar opened. And, I saw uh, Little Caesar on my 40th birthday at Whiskey Tango. Really? Or Whiskey Dicks, which is the one in the Northeast. Is that Dix or Tango? Tango. How did I miss that? It was Junkyard and Little Caesar. <laughs> Junkyard's like one of the greatest <laughs> bands ever. He really loves right? Junkyard. Yeah. <laughs> I almost put out the last Junkyard record. For I was, real. I, I was at I was the Junkyard it. show at uh, Kung, oh, right. Kung Fu Necktie. Kung Fu Necktie. Mm. Oh, was that terrible. with uh, Circus uh, of Power? Circus or Warrior of Power. Soul? Circus of Power. Yeah, Circus of Power. And Warrior and Soul. Soul yeah. I mean, this right, is a triple right. bill that would have sold out the Tower <laughs> Theater 30 years ago. I'm a huge ago. Circus of Power guy. Bob Peralt. You know Bob Peralt. He loves Warrior Soul. It was funny. Like, there was... A lot of people there to see different bands. Like anytime, like we bumped into okay, friends. When we you had say seen. a lot of people, you should actually let some pe some people know that this room holds maybe two hundred and fifty people. There was seventy people <laughs> there, end end, but so a lot of people. <laughs> and there was no every, one under like, forty years old. Oh, there. oh, yes, a hundred percent. Except for maybe Brett. Wow, my wife was there. <laughs> my my apologies there, Jason. Yeah, we did. Um, enough's enough. The Bullet Boys and Great White. Two and a half years ago at the like TLA. Oh, my, my wife made me go to that one, too. Jack Russell had two hospice nurses on the side of the stage. 
like it was fucking sad. He looked like he did. Yeah, he yeah. did. And a bunch of the people that I work with probably worked with you over the years, and they were making jokes. And I was like, you can't make great white jokes. Tell them about the fire, though. Right. It's, it's very, like, insensitive. Yeah, of course. So the, 99 people the sound guy is like, night. hey, they have a, um, what are those? Fogger? No, what are those? Hazer, uh, Hazer things? Vinyl, you're into the vinyl sign business. Uh, they had, like, the vinyl backdrop, which you can't okay. use yeah. without. He's like, they can't use this. And I was like, hey, do you guys have a fire certificate? And I fucked up because you can't, yeah. you can't be mean to Great White. But if they use that vinyl and the of lights course. that we had, kaboom. It already happened once. You, you yeah. can't say fire to one of America's biggest mass murderers of our generation. Yeah. I was working at the TLA when that went down. and uh, I'm leaving because that was the line I, of the night. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Well, I thanked my wife. I was like, thank you because you know I'm into serial killer right. shit. <laughs> it's not every day I get to see a person who killed 200 people. Um. And I, and you know, I get home from work and I see Jack Russell on CNN, you know, and I'm like, holy shit, what the hell is Jack Russell doing on CNN, you know? And then I turn the TV on, I'm like calling people, you know, I'm like, uh, it's horrible, but Jack Russell's on CNN. <laughs> oh my god. We did a Kiss tribute band the next week at Rex's, and they brought Pyro in, and they couldn't understand why I didn't want them to bring Pyro. Yeah, Pyro was bad, bro. <laughs> we were on tour when that happened. I was like, well, there goes uh, a half of our stage show forever. <laughs> we had Romstein was a uh, mainstay at the factory for a little bit until they started playing stadiums, and obviously they were kaputs with us once we couldn't do their show anymore. Hmm. So what about uh, Russell? But then you probably did Jack Russell again, because wasn't he one of, like, he played the TLA, too, recently. That was with that was with that great white show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, it's called Jack Russell's Great, great White. white. Okay, yeah, yeah. But. I don't recognize it as Jack Russell's Great White. I look at it as a corpse with a bunch of dudes who have jobs. Yeah, I was at that show um, now that you bring it up. By the way. So I did a Bullet Boys show in Westchester, and this guy he had like no teeth. He looked like he was at the the shelter next door, knocking on the door. I was like, "Hey, we're not open." He's like, "I want some coffee." It's like. We're not, we don't do coffee. We're a bar. We're not open yet. He's like, it's on the rider. It was Lonnie Vincent from the Bullet Boys. I guess they just got him back in the band. And uh, Mark Torrance showed up, and he had, like a, he had a black flag shirt. He was looking very punk with his weave. And uh, our chef, Chef Peter Rono, was down in the kitchen and ironically had, like, basketball jersey on. And Mark's like, my man, do you like basketball? Peter looks at him. No. Mark leaves, goes on stage. Trying to sound check, I was like, hey, can you please talk in the mic? He wouldn't talk in the mic. I said, can you please talk in the mic? Third time, can you talk in the mic? He's like, say it, please, motherfucker. I was like, we're a Christian venue. We don't talk like that. He left. He didn't come back till an hour after they were supposed to go back on. And Smooth Up Binia sounded pretty good, but they were like, it left the bad taste with the Bullet Boys. Um, <laughs> I, I saw Cinderella Winger Bullet Boys at the heyday at the Spectrum. Ooh. That was a big time show. I saw Cinderella Extreme and David Lee Roth at Pine Knob in Detroit. That was good. Yeah, so... We used to practice in Cinderella's practice spot in Upper Derby because... Did his, Jeff Labar deliver Jeff pizzas Labar, to you while yes. you were practicing? Well, Jeff Labar worked at a, a place called the Bada Bing down the street, and we would go get <laughs> cheesesteaks yeah. from him after practice <laughs> because his wife owned the, the practice spot. In a, she got it in a divorce. Oh, real estate. We were in the Cinderella room, too. The big purple guitars on the fucking wall. So you mentioned Detroit. You saw that uh, show in Detroit. You grew up in the Detroit area, so yes. that's uh, oh, okay. Thank you. 
little bit different than us. So what was uh, right, some man. of your fit first uh, concerts in Detroit and some of your first wrestling experiences? Yeah, we got to get to some wrestling. Let's start wrestling first. Uh, my first wrestling was WrestleMania three at the Pontiac Silverdome. Well, if you want to wrestle, we do have Jay. Wow. So just you know, how close were you? Uh, not close. Very top of the Pontiac. Were there Silverdome. were there yeah, were a, there big screens to watch it? There were screens think, yeah. to watch it, but it was like it was like watching ants, you know. But and the the Silverdome could not. I know they like totally like bumped the numbers over the years of what the attendance was, but like. There wasn't many doors in the Silver Dome, so like we'd get stuck, and they were like the revolving doors they had in the '80s. But I think the first match was the Killer Bees. It was the Killer Bees versus Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik, and that's where Hacksaw—I can't even speak—Hacksaw Jim Duggan made his debut. And that was that was probably one of my favorite matches that I saw at that time. And so you're there for what they call one of the greatest matches of all time, Steamboat Savage. Uh, looking back on it, like, do you, do you still have your ticket stub or anything from the event? No. No. I did have, like, the uh, the book for a couple of years, and I had a T-shirt. But yeah. How crazy is that, yeah, that your first uh, wrestling event is, like, you know, debatably one of the most famous cards of all time? It was good timing because I hated wrestling up until December of 86. I just, I did not like the rock and wrestling aspect of it. That was corny. But my grandfather, who was in the 80s then, he thought it was real, and so I'd We'd come to West Philly to visit him during uh, the holidays. It is real. And Thank you. He, like, he got me hooked on it. I felt bad, so I was watching with him, and I saw that, I think it was the Jake the Snake Honky Tonk Man on Saturday night's main event, and the one where Savage hit the bell on Steamboat's throat, and that like hooked me. That leads up to the Steamboat-Savage match. Rocco, what did you think of WrestleMania three at the time? Um... Let's see. I think um, I'm trying to remember my mindset at that time. I was, um, I don't think I was like, I still was just like a straight up fan and I didn't really, there wasn't obviously no internet, you know, or stuff like that. So I, I remember hearing about it and reading it. I hadn't like, a big thing for me was getting, uh, finding out about the Wrestling Observer newsletter. That really opened my eyes to like indie wrestling and, and like, the business itself. And I think I got, I started subscribing. Maybe, maybe I was reading it by that point. Like I said, my first issue was the death of Bruiser Brody issue. So maybe that was by uh, WrestleMania three. I'm not, I'm not good with the dates. What did that newsletter look like? It I- was old school. It was no paragraphs, no columns, everything straight across. And like the printing was even worse. And it was great. And they would have a letter section. Like, people would write letters. And they would have, like, a whole at the end, like, other people's newsletters, like, plugs and addresses and tape trading and stuff. And that's when, like, I started, like, tape trading and just reading about all this stuff and really then starting to get into the history of it. Like, before that, there was, like, three or four wrestling books you could get. And that was it. And then discovering that, you know, there wasn't really a lot of official history of it but trying to find out about it and that's really what sparked my interest in it it's interesting reading those wrestling observer like archives from that point because like he writes like he talks yeah you know so it's like oh no the editing was even worse like you it's totally the syntax is off and you you know i didn't have anybody else to really talk to about it so sometimes it'd be like trying to decipher what he would say 
what he was trying to say. Where it was, was very three? the Pontiac Silverdome. So the, the Pontiac, Michigan. Did you grow was, up in, uh, outside of Detroit? Yeah. So do you did did you see any other non WWF wrestling? No, at the I time? didn't. I didn't see like the big time wrestling mm. or any of that. But I used to watch a ton of it on UHF TV. Like there was a thing called the WWA which with the champion was the great Wojo. Mm-hmm. It was out of Ohio. Scott Rexteiner was on it. Right. Muhammad Ziad. Oh. So I would watch that. This was like 87, 88. Uh, Fred Curry Jr., Boba Brazil oh. Jr. Uh, Kevin Nash was in it, like unnamed. Like pre-Master Blasters, but like still that kind of thing. And then we'd get inter- the ICW wrestling out of Montreal, the International Championship Wrestling. So it'd be like, <laughs> Gino wow. Brado versus Abdul the Butcher. A lot of Bruiser Brody was in that. Um, Dino Bravo before he had bleached hair. Yeah. And like UWF. So for me, that was like the stuff I was super into. I liked WWF. It was a good like gateway, but I would take the NWA and even like those territories. Yeah, it sounds like you guys had a plethora of wrestling on television, but Detroit was a hotbed. Yes, it was. ICP. Ah. ICP's warehouse is in the town that I grew up in. Which is interesting. Like my friends would deliver pizza, kind of like Jeff Labar, but they would do it to the ICP. They would bring them pizza at their giant warehouse where they had like their wrestling rings and. Uh... You ever run into those guys growing up? No. Do you have any signed posters? Jason <laughs> would like to buy. Are you an Isham fan? Um, I, I, I it, Eric is just trying to take us off track. <laughs> He has some records that he can sell you, um, some Shaggy Tudo picture discs. Oh, you like picture discs. You do. Do you like picture discs? Love picture discs. He's got Rocco Shaggy Tudo. I would love a Shaggy Tudo <laughs> picture disc. It would match my tattoo. That's a, that's a nice King Diamond. He's got the hatchet tattoo. Right. <laughs> um, I did see them during the Great Malenko tour at the Troc in 97 with Blaze Dead Homie. Uh, loving Rock and Ride, the Fago Rock and Ride. It was amazing to watch them lip sync without giving a shit and just throwing it onto the 200 people that were at the truck. So the guy who runs the uh, security for, like, you know, all the venues at the concerts, he was, I mean, he, you know, he, he started working at the Tower Theater in the 70s and then, you know, winds up taking Jackson Brown and the Rolling Stones and Fish on the road. And he would come down to the TLA, like, once every, like, 60, 90 days, and he shows up one day. And I look up, I'm like, John, what are you doing here tonight? He's like, yeah, I want to see Blazier Dead Homie. <laughs> I'm like, I hear you. <laughs> he leaves an impression on you. Unbelievable. ICP was a big influence, a big crossover music influence in the indie scene, like pre them getting into WCW. But I didn't know. I only knew the smarmy uh, uh, indie rock uh, like they're bad at. Remember Motor, Motor Booty Magazine? Yeah, Big like, Chief. That was right, Mark Dancy. Right. From Big I Chief. remember their constant mocking of ICP. And he then I, wor- I worked at Cargo Records for a while. Okay. So with the district, and I remember like it was very uncool to like ICP. It was just I don't. I think it's still uncool to like them, but it's like a phenomenon. But their fans were super sincere and still. super nice and they genuinely loved wrestling and there were a lot of wrestlers, all those uh, IWA Mid-South guys loved ICP and Corporal then when they started Robinson. doing the tours with them, that's where, that was their talent pool. You know, their main talent pool was always, you know, Corporal Robinson and, uh, you know, uh, Ian Rotten and 
you know, all the all those guys were, uh, and they were genuine fans. And I, it was like a, a like a cultural thing. I just didn't get it. And people, people, it was like a lifestyle. It was like a Grateful Dead kind of thing. I was like, okay, yeah, you know. Right. But it's also like scary. It's the most. Uh, <laughs> it's like actually scary. Like, uh, I, I've been to like some weird. I've been to more ICP shows, shows than anyone should ever be to. What? I've seen ICP probably. Uh, 12 times. Did you ever go to the they, Gathering of the Juggalos? No. I would, I would they, love poser, to that. They, um, no, they played the Electric Factory every year, uh, sometimes twice a year for, you know, over a decade. Right. As a matter of fact, uh, one time at one of our poker games, like they were just talking about, and uh, the um, the bookers, like, they've sold the most merch yeah. and the most tickets in right. the history of our building. Grateful Dead. They were one of the first to use credit cards, you know, have like their own credit card system to get merch. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they would do. They could do like fifty G in merch, and then they start oh, doing. No, they start doing tokens. tokens. Yeah. It's, way more than that. it's crazy. It's Absolutely like insane. They own their own merch company. They press their own stuff. They're smart. They're so smart businessmen. Yeah. Smart businessmen. But the crowd is like, like, heavily sedated and like <laughs> very like 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 I was scared of like these little kids. Like I thought they were gonna like eat me or something. I would say, uh, what's that terrible band at an? The guy from Doggy Styles and the Cottonmouth Kings, they have a worse crowd than ICP. Well, they're, and they're like a combination of both. But ICP, like, it doesn't matter if you heard of them, don't, haven't heard of them. Them and Fish, like, everyone has to give you an opinion on them. They, right. Everyone <laughs> has. And, the very, and, and so, they don't so, get radio play, but they make their own. So there's uh, this guy, there's a book out called You Don't Know Me, But You Hate Me. Hmm. And this dude took three years of his life. And went and just saw Fish and ICP concerts, oh and he wanted to understand why, like, their fan bases were like so revered, so to speak. Um, to say the least, the guy's girlfriend left him. You know, he was supposed to get married and all this. It's a great book, though. But anyway, so let's find out what concerts you started going to in Detroit at a young age. I went to like the hair metal stuff, so nothing cool. But like my first one was like <laughs> Bon Jovi and Skid Row. That's, that's like cool. that's like the greatest show on earth. What the freak are you talking about? And nothing cool. I had to um, Sebastian Bach at the top of his game. Eh, well, no big deal. I went to WrestleMania <laughs> three. No big deal. He also I mean, has, he's had his picture taken with Sebastian. So it's like, it's like Forrest Gump so far. <laughs> I was in special ed for twelve years, so there's Gump isms with me. See, I'm still stuttering. I meant that you're in all the good stuff and you could care less about it. I do care. When I met Sebastian Bach, we uh, were supposed to do his meet and greet at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, you can't park the buses on South Street. So the bus didn't show up. He'd only do the meet and greet on the bus. He wouldn't do it inside. So he shows up late. Show happens. He sings okay for his age now. It's good. But he did the. He came super late. I was at that show too. He did the meet and greet at one o'clock in the morning, and the crew was upset because it was just like a disaster. It's like, would you like to meet Sebastian? I'm like, I would love to meet Sebastian. So I had a picture of me at 12 with my Skid Row shirt on. <laughs> I was like, you're the first show I ever saw, the first person ever I saw sing at the Joe Louis Arena in 1989. He's like, now we're Bach together. <laughs> I was just like, ah! I mean, but he was cool. He loves wine. Um, 
loves Kiss. He's got a whole like three rooms in his house dedicated but to Kiss. That first Skid Row record, like I love it. It's incredible. The first three Skid Row records are off the chart. Are you like the subhuman race? It's unbelievable. He's <laughs> probably like busting up by Tesla too, huh? No, I'm not into that. <laughs> Did one. you see him and uh, Jericho going back and forth yeah. a couple months ago? I was hoping that was an angle, but I think I it was actually it was. for real. Yeah. yeah. Now you got Randy Orton and Soldier Boy. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna get one of these feuds. That will come to <laughs> and Randy George. Orton's like very versed in hip hop, which is insane. Like when he references stuff. Um, the craziest match I saw in Detroit was Butch Reed versus Billy Graham at the Palace of Auburn Hills, and they must have like injected like hormones in each other's asses because they were very comfortable. Like <laughs> he goes, Butch Reed, you're nothing but a, and he used the slur, and my dad's like duck and. All the little kids were throwing bottles at Billy Graham. It's like still like 1987, but like to say that like in Detroit, you know, like it was wild. What 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 Feb was it under? WWF. And it was uh, like a house show. And was and it is it superstar Billy Graham or ninja Billy Graham? No, it was it wasn't NWA. It was like WWF superstar. Like when he had his hip replacement, and they'd show you all that stuff. That's kind of wild. And he dropped it. My eyes like duck, and was just like. Wow, well, he knew. Stuff. He knew. <laughs> What's the d- venue in Detroit that's like one of the most craziest places I've ever been? Is it Harpo's? Is that Harpo's? In Detroit? Yeah, yeah. Harpo's is like in a. Really was that around back park. then? It was around here. That was like a heavy metal club. It was out of control. That place. Well, the see, stage did, is so high that they have there? no barricade. I've pl- yeah, we've played there a couple. Terrible times. neighborhood, Harpo's. It, that's it. Is a terrible. <laughs> I saw UFC three in Detroit. Wow, UFC three. The infamous uh, Dan Severn, uh, um, uh, what's his name, match where they didn't they didn't lock up for like half an hour. The crowd was going crazy. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, was it Gracie? Yeah. Um, no, it was uh, the American fella. Um, oh, it's, whose brother wrestles too? I can't uh, think of it offhand, but uh, it was a really good. We went across the border and got Cuban cigars. Oh, nice. That was my favorite part. So. Windsor's a good time. You, what, did, what were some great shows you saw at Harpo's? I was too young. Everything there was like 19 and over. I moved oh. when I was like 16. 19 and over? I never heard of that. You guys must have had That's some like weird... That's like New York. You must have had some weird Canada laws. Yeah. <laughs> so moving here when I was 16, like just going to the truck or like Dobbs, like way different. Like it was very, like it seemed like more restricted in, in Detroit. Like it... You wanted to go to St. Andrew's Hall to see like Alice in Chains. You had to be like 19. Okay, so you um, you probably saw um, very few concerts in Detroit? How Just many? big ones. Yeah, so what else did you see after Skid Row? And uh, the Great Tesla, Bonjour. Badlands, and Great White. That's epic. That was a good one. Uh, what else did I say? So the Extreme, Dave Lee Roth, Cinderella. And then, like, big stuff. So, and then uh, you come to Aerosmith Philly. Aerosmith and Joan Jett. Oh wow, we had Aerosmith Jackal. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then I saw Jackal at the Ardmore Music Hall. Or I'm sorry, at um the one on forty second street. Uh is the Chestnut the Cabaret. Chestnut Cabaret. Yeah, and then whatever it turned into. Uh and uh so I was like, oh my god, I mean, they they literally Jackal. did not play yeah, they did play Philly for twenty one years, twenty two years. Did Chainsaw come out? Oh yeah, full chainsaw. Uh, as a matter of fact, my my buddy who uh, runs the venue is like, I had to go get him a, cha- uh, a stool, a wooden stool, so he could do the whole chainsaw gimmick. But I stay after the show. I go up to Jesse James Dupree, 
And I'm like, yo, I saw you open up for Aerosmith at the Philadelphia Spectrum. He puts his arm around me and he goes, man, they put us on so early. They were still putting numbers on the seats. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was going to say, now we're both Dupree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys. I think him and Sebastian Bach are on the same brain wave. (laughs) No way, dude. Jesse James Dupree is a talent coordinator at the Full Throttle Saloon. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but either way, it's a whole different podcast. So you make it to Philadelphia. And what concerts did you start go seeing in Philly? The first one I went to was Lollapalooza '93. Was that a was that a JFK yeah, the parking lot of JFK? It was. It would have been. Was that where, the Rage one? Yeah, it was Rage. Yeah. Cool. Where they didn't play. Where they didn't play. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I went to the one the week before in Detroit, where Tool and Rage were like on the second stage. So it was like super awesome. And then, but again, like Detroit's different than like just the air of it is different than like Philly. So. I saw Cell. I don't know if you remember the band Cell. They were on DGC. I bought a goat shirt because the goats play that. That's right. And then I sold the goat shirt to get a Cell shirt, like the Captain Crunch man. (laughs) Captain Crunch. You didn't see uh, grown men's penises for the first time in Detroit on that tour, right? No. No, definitely there. Um, But they were on a higher stage, so it was right there. But in Detroit, Lori from uh, Babes in Toyland took her shirt off, so that's the equivalent, I guess. Um, yeah, I got yeah, the rage thing was disappointing. I got the what the size of their penises or just that they the feedback, <laughs> the whole package. Yeah, the whole package. <laughs> penises can be disappointing. They had rock and roll penises. They don't have <laughs> they don't have punk rock penises like us. But then I had the ticket stuff, so I went and saw them in Quicksand, State of the Nation at the trial. I was at that show too. That was great. That was unbelievable. I couldn't believe I got in um, because there was so many people still outside trying to get into the show, and I. Didn't have like whatever. Oh, you didn't you'd... go in advance. Uh, yeah, no, I before. just showed up. I just thought you were supposed to bring your ticket stub. And uh, Big Bill, the security guard who we were talking about earlier, who like he doesn't remember this. I told him about it. Randomly, he's like, "Go in," just to me, you know. And I was like, "Holy shit," you know. And I got to see Tom Morello play, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is like the greatest night of my life." And I've said that a few times since. Unbelievable. <laughs> what was the first wrestling you saw in Philadelphia? I guess ECW. Wow, you went to the arena. I went to the arena once with Mike Supermodel. Nice. Which was fun. Um, Don't know what you mean. <laughs> and that I was the I one. I had a nickname like Supermodel. Did I go? You didn't go, no. I just, I went with Mike and uh, maybe Colin who was in Paint It Black. Yeah, that's a little rock and wrestling. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, it was like nine. He was at my house this morning. Colin McGinnis? Yeah, Colin McGinnis. Yeah. yeah. He was there. I saw him this morning. Yeah. We, we got to get him on the show. He has an air conditioning company yeah, called Air Team. Why didn't you book him for the show? I, I asked him to come on. That, that would be a good guess. Um, yeah, Mike Superman and Colin. And that was like, I want to say Jericho and Too Cold Scorpio mm-hmm. when, when Too Cold was like on his way out. And I want to say that was the Bill Alfonso of Bill Alfonso Beulah match. Which, wow. so we had Bill Alfonso on our second episode, I think, or third episode. I mean, talk about an intergender match. I mean, that thing was an absolute bloodbath. So that was oh the God. first the ECW bloodiest. you went yeah. to was that match? That match, yeah. That's a good one. And then they had... They I had, like how you start in the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched it, you know, on the sports channel, on Channel 48, but I never went to it. But then in Downingtown, they had it at the farmer's market every other month. 
So we'd go see that. I saw the great Sasuke wrestle Al Snow at the Downtown's Farmer Mart. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> that was great. What was the crowd like during that match? Because we heard, um, we heard uh, Bill Alfonso tell his perspective of the match. I mean, there was times as a fan watching that on TV, I turned away a couple times. He was bleeding so bad. It's, it's one of the... Uh, it was gory. But that crowd was like... Very toxic crowd. Yes, right? but this one was <laughs> different. <laughs> I was talking to Rocco about this on the way here. I said, what you didn't see on, on TV of ECW is it was one of the scariest places to be of all time. Picture South Philly at, at that moment in, that, you know, in time and the people that would be at that all getting riled up by the violence in the ring. There would be, like, half the, the crowd would be fighting. Uh, it, was, it was like going to a union meeting, I feel like. Yeah. I, I am not from Philly. I live here for a long time. I really like it. And I've been to wrestling events in many different places in several countries. This is the most mutant-filled crowd for any show. <laughs> Even like a big WWF yeah, arena one. Yeah. yeah. It is bottom of the gene pool. It is so wonderful. I mean, I've been to, to some <laughs> scary-ass shows and you're guaranteed like like you're just walking around, like you, watching the crowd is worth the price of the ticket alone. Like that Roman Reigns and Royal Rumble, the Wells Fargo. Like how toxic was that when like when he won the he's gonna win the Royal Rumble and they had Daniel Bryan come out. Like they booed him and then they booed The Rock. Yeah, they just were not happy that <laughs> you know, night. Like, it was like holy shit, like the air in that place. But the ECW Arena, like you'd wait for tickets under ninety five. So that was even like just the whole. Right. Did, did you go, Jay? Yeah, well, I used to go to a lot of them. Like it was like, it was mm-hmm. it was intense. Yeah, and then and then and, once and, that and, went and, away, I, this is the positive thing. Positive mutant bottom of the gene pool. By the way, I enjoy <laughs> if that. If there's a such lot. a thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if you watch the um, Raven Doctor Death Steve Williams, there's so many great near falls in that match. Uh, I, I'm like bugging out. I thought Raven was gonna lose the title that night. But he went home with the gold. Everything was good. That, but you could still smoke cigarettes and drink beer. They were just selling like they had a keg and they would just like yeah. fill your cup up for yeah, like jumps, three bucks yeah. or two bucks. And your people were smoking cigs. It was intense. It was like the seven hundred level over at Vet Stadium. I remember Johnny Smith made his debut that night. I think the alleged brother of David Boy Smith. <laughs> um, it was. I liked it, but I actually liked the farmers market better because it was like. Because you didn't feel you were going to get killed? Uh, <laughs> more exits to yeah, run away. there was definitely yeah. more exits. And, well, um, well the, I mean, I went to the farmer's market a couple times, and, and I, at that point I was not – I don't think I started getting into wrestling until like probably like five years ago. Again, from like being a little kid in like WWF. But uh, at the farmer's market it was like – it was just like shit for us to do, like – Sneak beers, like you could do whatever you wanted to do at the wrestling match because you could do whatever you wanted to do at the corner of Swanson and Rittner too. Yeah, I mean, well, I would have gone. Less stress. I would have gone if I was if I lived in Philly. Like this was like you know four minutes away from my house. Like, I mean, I think we walked back from the farmers market drunk like when I was nineteen. I I, I was going into the wrestling match bringing a case of beer as a 19 year old. That's like fun. ECW at that time was the punk rock of wrestling. Yes. Oh, definitely. It was the same feeling as going to the truck when I was like 12. Definitely scary. This place is crazy. And like, how about like when they would like wear the Cowboys jerseys? Like, how did these wrestlers get out of there alive some nights? You know, it was wild. It was nuts. And that and that whole 
crowd hating on certain people, but at the same time, totally respecting them is very old school. <laughs> like Jungle you know. Jim Steele debuting for ECW, you know, who's, who was popular in Japan and then bombs at the ECW oh, yeah. arena. You know, uh, Rocco, it's funny you say that, that you've seen wrestling around the world, let alone in our country. And Tony Khan, uh, owner of AEW, tells a story about how, like, he graduated some kind of, like, um, you know, uh, program that you uh, do before you go to college. Like, you know, whatever. He did really well at it. And his dad asked him, whatever you want, I'll, I'll you know, get you. And they think they lived in Chicago at the time. And he's like, I want to go see Chris Jericho's last match at the, you know, it's in Philadelphia, Dad. And, you know, they fueled up the jet. <laughs> and he took this 13-year-old kid to ECW. I, I can only imagine what his father was like. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I've taken my, my young daughter to wrestling shows. She, like, in a total, I'm the inappropriate parent to inappropriate wrestling shows. And I'm like, and what she did was you cool take him to? Well, we did, I did break her in at like Chikara and stuff, which in hindsight is now like more toxic than anything. Right. But we did go to the, she loves going to the 2300 arena. We, t- I, we did see a couple big shows there. She was at that Lucha show, that, um, the Lucha ma- show, yeah, yeah, that mass. Did she ever go to CZW with us? What's that? Did she yeah. ever go to CZW? She's, she's been yes. to a CZW show, you know, and, um, you know, these kids are unfazed by all this. Stuff. I took my kids to James Ellsworth intergender wrestling in a fire hall in Maryland. <laughs> oh, nice. This is before he was canceled. <laughs> have the have the cards been arrested now? Yes. And um, the main event was James Ellsworth versus Tessa Blanchard. Oh my and gosh! I'd work like a month and a half straight. My vacation was going to Eric to AIW in Ohio. That was great though. Did the Roots picnic, and then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go treat myself to wrestling. But it was a Sunday, so I didn't want to be a Sunday dad. So I took my kids to intergender wrestling. Am I, Why don't you tell them real quick? It's a, the Roots Picnic guy. You just want to uh, gloss over that. It's a twelve-hour concert that features about twenty-five acts. Who were some of the headliners that day? Well, I, I don't get the good stage. I yeah, had but the, uh, opening act stage. Right, a boogie with a hoodie, core. I like all the up-and-coming yeah. hip hop. Rich the Kid. Yeah, I mean, but so you know, very yeah. hectic, fun time. Um. Okay, <laughs> now we're back to wrestling. So I wanted to go back to wrestling, so I took my kids and. Um, my son, who was five at the time, didn't understand why it wasn't an arena and why it was like a fire hall. He was bummed. <laughs> yeah. And my older son, I've taken him to some shitholes. So I go inside, and I left my wallet, so I came back. And the guy taking the money was um, Gilbert. <laughs> Gilbert was taking the money. And I guess when I went to get my wallet, my, my five-year-old at the time was like upset because it wasn't real wrestling. What you, yeah. And um, he was complaining. So Gilbert... Once again, wrestling is real. Jeez. You mean WWF Yeah. To him, that's real wrestling. It was a callback joke. <laughs> so he was upset, and I guess we missed it because we were picking strawberries earlier in the day. So there's only three matches left, and the guy charged me full price for myself and two kids, and Gilbert thought that was unjust. So Gilbert comes up. And says something to the guy, and the guy's like, hey, um, we're sorry that we had to, you had to pay all the money. Uh, Gilbert wants to make it up for you. So you should get your picture with Gilbert. It's free. 
So they don't. Tommy, my oldest son, kind of knows who Gilbert is, but my youngest son did not know. So they're taking weird pictures. He's sticking his tongue out, and then Gilbert comes back. He's like, "I feel really bad. I think you should meet James Ellsworth." Oh man! I was like, "Awesome!" So we meet James Ellsworth, who I'm sure is a nice guy. He he's not with us, so he's just like he's probably excited that he had a career. And he just, we're trying to talk to him, takes some pictures of the kids and gives Ted an autographed James Ellsworth action figure. So that was, really it was awesome. kind of exciting, but like, the, it was one of those rings that looked like beds. It looked like a waterbed. Yeah. Penelope uh, Ford wrestled that. Okay, she's uh, big time now. Big time now. And uh, James Ellsworth versus Tesha Blanchard, who looked so uninterested, sitting in a corner like before the match outside and then just like beat the shit out of him. I wonder if uh, she'll ever get signed to AEW, you know, with her father there and everything. Like, I think I want... she'll go to WWE because they don't care about Ricochet anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, yeah, she's had a couple little incidences uh, outside <laughs> the ring. Uh, but, yeah, you, you're kind of surprised. Like, at one point she was uh, looked at as the uh, top, like, indie wrestler, not male or female, just top wrestler, like, unsigned. But, you know. But if you're running a corporation, she... They have to look at it like potentially she's a liability. She is so. a liability. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, when I f- went to wrestling, like, you know, we, we uh, there was a point when I discovered, like, I think when you go see wrestling, there, there are levels of liking wrestling and be, being smart and then, you know, going back and discovering, like, oh, st- it's like it kind of in music, like a lot of times, like, you have you collect a lot of music, say when you're young, and then you you become cool and you get rid of it. And then five or ten years later, you're like, man, that stuff was good. I wish I didn't sell those records or give yeah. them away. And same with wrestling, you learn to appreciate stuff that you may have rejected, not all of it. But one thing I, I discovered going to wrestling is I don't like going to big arena shows either for music or for wrestling. But if you get to choose where you sit. I used to not want to do this, but now I try and sit next to the kids or the mentally handicapped folks because they get so into wrestling. Sitting next to some smart mark who's bragging to his friends that he knows what's happening and trying to tell you what he read on the internet or what's going to happen is so effing annoying to me. That's why I hated going to Chikara because they were like ring announcing commentary like telling you what they read online i just i I just want to sit back and enjoy it but it's conversely in chikara you can sit next to some kids who are just genuinely super into it and being next to kids and i remember like just going taking my daughter to a random wwf show and you know the kids next to me were so into john cena and just me going ah he's not gonna win and them dying and like I know what's going to happen. I know they're going to leave. You sure you weren't just sitting next to me? What's that? Yeah, well, you did look. Yeah. You did have a lot of John Cena merch. And then uh, they just Can't get so into me. it. If you, you know, talking to them, not trying to spoil it for them, but just playing heel to them, they go. Like John Cena, if John Cena uh, wins, I'll buy you guys a soda. You know, and them like being so excited that they got over on me. Like, you know, it's, it was, it's very fun doing that. And taking my daughter, like, I never smart. I still haven't smartened my daughter up. I don't like. I refuse to. She, how, how old is she? Well, now she's fourteen. Oh, okay. But like, I, I I don't know if I if I told the story, but we went to the. Did I tell the story already? See, I'm already repeating myself. Yeah, I told the the CM Punk story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I won't. She she knows. It's whatever. You figure it out on your own. No one fucking smart me up. You know. <laughs> you, you figure it out. 
right? I, that's the beauty of it. And then I, I still, I still am find myself uh, 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 being a mark every now and then and being disappointed. I think social media kills all that. Social media I remember going to a show in Louisville and literally, I'm a smart guy. I'm in the locker room. Eh. I'm wrestling. And my heart broke when I walked in that l- dressing room and there's Sabu smoking a cool, just uh, talking to people. And I was like, oh, talk. I know he's really not a crazy guy, but this is killing me. This is killing he me. He is this a crazy guy. He really might be a crazy guy. Well, in a different way. <laughs> not not, not in guy. the way that the, the harsh desert drove him Because he didn't eat your head off. We saw him smoking at uh, Extreme Rising. It wasn't yeah, a cool. Yeah, different. Different, different, different. <laughs> but, uh, is that the one you played at? <laughs> yeah, different different thing. We saw him smoking Extreme Rising, and it was actually cool. Right. Yeah, it was cool. In the, in, the, in the green room van? Yeah, in the van. <laughs> I, I took a, van. A, a, a friend of mine to one of those stupid... Shane Douglas ECW uh, reunion shows, and he had never been. He's a big ECW fan, never from Philly. Never been to uh, an ECW show. Only been to WWF shows. Never been to an indie show. I'm like, these are great. These are great. You'll have a great time. Uh, yeah, hi Franco. But he literally, the night started so great. We're in the parking lot drinking beer and smoking, and he's wearing his Sandman shirt. And this little tiny car, like this Toyota Tercel, full of people, drives by us. And someone says, Sandman sucks, and whips a beer can at us. And we turn around, and it's Sandman driving by. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. But, of course, he's like, I got to go get Sabu's autograph. I'm like, don't get Sabu's autograph. Don't get Sabu's autograph. He's like, I'm going to go talk to him. I said, do what you got to do. And he comes back, and he's all crestfallen. He's like, what happened? He goes, he said, hey, how you doing? You got any pills? Right <laughs> I was like, hey, now you're a member of the club, baby. L'chaim. Did he hook him up? Uh, did, did he have yeah. pills? What's that? I saw him ask a 12-year-old girl for pills. <laughs> you never know. While he's holding that little poodle. <laughs> you never know. Well, you know. I was UFC 9, by the way, at the Kobo. It was Dan Severn versus Ken Shamrock. It was good. Mm-hmm. They just did like a face-off, like one of those like shoot interviews together or something. But whatever, it's a, a tale for another time. Right. When uh, when they did ECW at the farmers market, I'd always make zines. Like I was gonna write a zine, it never happened. So I wanted to interview wrestlers, and I got Mikey Whipwreck to talk to me, and he was really into like metal church, and he's like, "You need to meet my friend Mark." So I met his friend Mark, who is Bubba Dudley, and he's like a metalhead. So I started talking to them. Super nice. The next time ECW came, went to the matches, and, like, I think it was, like, New Jack versus Sabu, and I had my two cousins with me, and they left because, like, they were just, like, slicing each other. It was super bloody. Uh, yes. And we'd go to Denny's every night. We'd go to the Exton Denny's, and uh, Bubba Ray was there, Devon, Tommy Dreamer. Everyone was in character. And, like, we would try to talk to them, and they were just, like, shutting us down, which is, you know... They were all, like, in character at that point. A bunch of jabronis. <laughs> like, you were nice last month when you came in town. So, hmm? I'm sorry. So, so why? No. So who? We can edit that out. Yeah, well, no. So <laughs> I was just going to fast forward to Tom brings me to wrestling now. I think because nobody else will sit in the car with him. But 
he'll be like, let's drive real far to like, where do we go, Cleveland? We went to Cleveland. Okay. So he said, uh, I'm going to go to Cleveland to go to this wrestling thing. This is what I want to do. You can come with me or you don't come with me. But if you come with me, like, I'll pay for you. And I just want somebody to like be with me so I don't crash my car. Very nice. Very nice. That's nice. So I said, cool. I like going on trips and pretend, (laughs) pretend I'm in a band for a day. And uh, get in his car. We drive to Cleveland, and we get Cleveland this, rocks. We get to this gymnasium where there's like an AA meeting going on. Yeah, we walk <laughs> to the wrong part. No, but there was literally like like we get to the match the, where the match is, and before the match starts, there's an, a full AA meeting like going on. And <laughs> that's a good and place. Not a lot of crossover. We're in Cleveland in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like total. I mean. If you told me I was in West Virginia, I would have said, okay, I don't, I don't even know where we were. Was the Miz on the card? No, Gangrel and Hornswoggle were. <laughs> nice, nice. But the same thing happened. Like, it was like I'd never seen something, except for the farmer's market, which I didn't think was, like, really wrestling, or, like, shows where, like, I went to, like, the Annie scene show, the Murder Junkies, you know, but I was drunk. I don't, this time I wasn't drunk when it started. Did you but, go look for records at the farmer's market? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anything, anything good? Yeah. Beggar's Banquet had yeah. everything. But what I'm saying is so the same thing happened. I, I looked at, around the crowd and I saw like all these like sort of like challenged kids who were so excited that I was like, I want to hang out with these kids because they were so excited. They get super like, into it, man. I was like, this is the most fun. Like, if this is what wrestling is, this is fun. Like, I, I feel like there's always one kid who's cheering the heels and you can nurture that kid to be a freak and, and, and like... Could form, could, you know, can really confirm his outcast status because all his friends make fun of him because he likes some wrestler for some silly reason and all his friends just like the popular ones and you can bond with that kid and send them on the evil left-hand path for the rest of his life and I feel that's a good accomplishment. We saw Marty Jannetty versus Joey Janela at that match. <laughs> oh, his, and, his and crazy he, ankles. He did three Death Valley drivers off the top rope and Marty Jannetty threw a table and it took him four times to get him into it. Uh, Marty yeah, Jannetty. I was also a little scared, not super scared, but like there was just like it was like more of an element of like you know we talk about stuff like being real, and when you're sitting there, it's real. Oh, where it's was real, it? Where baby. was it in Cleveland? Uh, Mount Carmel. Uh, it was the Mount Carmel Church in Cleveland because they they do stuff. What's that shitty club you guys play? Uh, now that's class. Now that's, they they do shows there, but this was in the church. Have you ever been in the backyard there? Now that's class? No. I've There's seen a giant mural of, of classy Freddie Blassie. Oh, wow. Oh, and wow. I never understood. I, I was there twice before I was in the backyard, and I was like, now this is the best place. That's why it's called Now That's Class. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. The guy's a that. huge wrestling fan that owns that place. Oh, that's, yeah. that's awesome. We'd go to wrestling at Zern's, and the biggest star there was the ECW hack guy. He's a manager at Zern's. Hack Myers? Wait, wait, no, no. Zern's, the, what, the, the, the guy, No, the guy who sits in the front yeah. row? Wait, wait, so, wow, this is, this is, this so, is some so breaking he, news here. Wait, hold on. For the, for the, for the WWA, which is like, uh, they would have like Nikolai Volkov come wrestle. It was like farmer's market wrestling, but they do yeah. it at the one in Gilbertsville, Zern's, and uh, he's yeah. the big star. Still? Yeah. Uh, well, it's... They still do in that area at the fire. Straw hack, the straw hack yeah. guy, yeah. They'd call him the ECW hack guy. And we were there one night with Jimmy Pop and Evil Jared from the Bloodhound Gang. And Jared gets in the ring at Zern's. And they have characters like the Wolfman. And, like, all these dudes who've probably been wrestling, like, in central Pennsylvania for 30 years. 
and they all came and started surrounding Jared in the ring. It was pretty surreal. So where does he work? If we want to call him and bother him, <laughs> who the ECW hack? Oh, he just like he just like works that federation. He's a character. Yeah, He's yeah, the yeah. manager. He manages all the monsters. I thought you meant you saw him. He was like a clerk somewhere. No, no. He's, He's like the, the main guy. <laughs> I uh, One of my favorite shows I saw recently, and it's one of those, I've never had bad luck just finding a flyer on the sidewalk or seeing you a got random bad luck right here. And just like, I'm going to that show. And there was a wrestling show, some local like micro-fed um, and, and they played this boxing gym on Washington and 16th. Was that with the Sons of Wrestlers? No. They had, they had one guy was there, the older guy who obviously had trained a lot of people. And he, I forget his name, but he had a Candyman gimmick. As in, he just gave out cheap, hard candies to all the kids at ringside. And I'm like, that's like the smartest thing to get over with all the kids, just <laughs> giving them white sugar. But... My two favorite things, the only things I remember, they had some young guy, some trainee there, and he had my favorite, one of my favorite wrestling tattoos ever. That's another good subject, wrestling tattoos, is it just said wrestler tattooed on his back. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, my God. Upper or lower? Upper back. (laughs) And... um, and the other one, some kid, some young kid, some young kid had an Eskimo gimmick, and in my he mind, like, I was like, he he could come out with like a sled dog or a, or a dead fish or something. He didn't really work the Eskimo. He gimmick. didn't Eskimo kiss the, his opponent. No, there was so oh. much potential, and he was really really small, but he was really really good. And I was thinking in my head, I always have the manager of champions fantasy like. I could take this kid somewhere. Like he's really, he was really like, good. Like and the, the Eskimo gimmick, like you could play the ethnic card too. And it's like, well, you know, we got to call him an Inuit now. But it was really good. It just was the title, his, his nickname. He didn't have a gimmick for it or anything. It was really not very good wrestling. And I had such a great time. And the boxing gym closed the next month. The end. So uh, we'll get ready to wrap this up. Uh, we talked about you and Eric going on the road to watch some wrestling. You've been on the road with some bands. You were on the road with the Bloodhound Gang. Were you there in Russia yes. or whatever? Is it t- tell us what happened with that night. Well, <laughs> or what you can. What I can? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, tell us what we know. So they're playing a show in Russia. Yeah. And uh, the lead singer has the Russian flag. That was in the Ukraine. Okay. So all the Russian dignitaries go hang out in the Black Sea. And the Bloodhound Gang played this venue, which wasn't really a venue along the sea, it looked like a catwalk, like a fashion show was happening. The worst backline that I've ever seen in my life. Um, and Jared, the bass player, it all goes back to evil Jared, he wiped the flag with his butt, and Jim kept saying, fuck Russia, like pointing at all the dignitaries Okay, so he's, stuff. you guys are in the Ukraine, and he's, uh, he's thinking uh, if the he... The former Soviet Union. Yeah, so yes. he's thinking if, he's, if he disses the old country, that would uh, get him over no, with the new country. I just think they, so they've been doing it for 20 years. So okay. they're like, we've been wiping flags with our butts for 20 years. It's different but, countries, millions of countries. But Edward Snowden didn't happen okay. all those other years. So that was happening while they were doing this. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think any of us thought anything of it when it happened. Like, it was just like, oh, shit. And then we do a festival in Russia called the Anapa Fest with Doggy Dog and the Wu-Tang Clan and Alkaline Trio. Um, it was very eclectic. 
Yeah, that's a that's a big fest. Um, and I'm seeing on the tickers at the hotel room on the TV like the Bloodhound Gang. Like, man, they're really big in Russia. This yeah. is awesome. Not knowing what it was saying on there, how like oh. there was like, <laughs> like was threats that. against them. <laughs> yeah. So we go to the festival early. We set up all the back line. And our uh, Russian translators like the KGB is monitoring this performance. Like awesome! They're like you can't you that you can't sing the lyrics to Vagina. Like you can't do this. And then Anti Flag was there, and they're like you can't talk about nationalism, uh, women's rights, <laughs> pussy riot. This is 2013, so they're telling them everything they can't yeah. say. And like the KGB, like they don't exist, right? How could they be monitoring the performance? Yeah. And I keep seeing like all these dogs. And I thought dogs go to concerts in Russia on the Black Sea. <laughs> in looked, Soviet Russia. Yeah. <laughs> but they looked deathly. Like, they looked bad, out of shape. And I didn't put anything together. And, like, the security was really mean. And then the, the band was at the hotel playing water polo. So they're just relaxing. Yeah, you got to get it in before they... Relaxing they're... with a little water polo. Yeah. <laughs> so... Now talk about breaking kayfabe. Yeah. <laughs> the Bloodhound Gang will be the only people who will be like, we got to cut that part out. Be like, how did they get these horses in the pool? <laughs> so they finally show up and they're like, hey, you disrespected our flag. You need to apologize. So evil Jared did his shtick. And then Jim just said, I didn't know Justin Bieber was from Canada. They never apologized, so it made it even worse. And... um. They told us there was bombs on the stage. That's why those deathly dogs are there <laughs> to help us from getting blown up. And I've never moved quicker in my life getting like all the shit off, helping get all the shit off the stage. Um, so it was very tense. Went back to the hotel with the water park. They didn't play clearly. Are you okay? Too much madism? No? Me? Oh, no, I'm fine. Okay. I'm not used to those coughs, those uh, hazard coughs. COVID? Yeah. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're socially distanced now. Yeah. Uh, um, it was wild. The next day, pro-Kremlin youth egged us and tomatoed our van, going to the airport, and then we got attacked by Russian nationals they call Kazakhs. So, so you're running to the airport, through the airport? or? Oh, no, they put us in the VIP room to relax, and then someone tipped off the Kazakhs to come and give us a, a lesson. And um, they came in. They whipped me first. I ran for the plane. I was like, fuck this. I can't. I got kids. I can't fight Kazakhs. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had no idea. And then they attacked Jared with the... They tried to strangle him with the Russian... With the American flag, but he's a trained MMA person. Yeah, so, he's a big yeah, dude. So he, he could he be a worker. He beat him up. He, he could be a worker. We should get him in the ring. <laughs> and then they took our passports, and they tried to, like take my blood pressure because I think I was losing my shit. I thought they were going to put the serum in me then put me in the gulag. I was scared. Wow. I've never been more scared in my was, life. Yeah, I didn't know it was this deep. Besides yeah. that, and like a little dirt concert. So, that was pretty crazy. Wow. And there's, there's more to it. Google it. Because, well, it was on TMZ. Like, yeah, there was yeah. like a little bit of footage and I thought the footage was running. But what's the footage? Of that the footage thing? is them attacking us and then it, yeah, okay, they pre-rolled us beforehand with them uh, kicking the American flag and stomping, but they did it before they came to us. And then they edited it and, like, shot it through the Internet. Meanwhile, my sister had worked for CNN for, like, 15 years up until the week before, so I SOS'd her because I was scared. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I was talking to, like, the Russian correspondent while this was happening. 
it was pretty crazy. Your sister's still working on news? She does. What what she do now? She works for uh, Yahoo News because it's the yeah, best but, news. So, so yeah. how did how did how did your sister get you out of this? How did your sister soften the book? Because this is yeah, I remember like them, I them. yeah. How'd she soften it? Tell them what happened. With, With like Bill Clinton and all that stuff. Oh well, that was that was through bands management. They had they had Bill Clinton's crisis, crisis prevention manager on the phone, <laughs> so which was the wrong kind of crisis manager. So. It, it didn't necessarily help, but it was it was pretty crazy, and Jared and Jim were in character the whole time, like <laughs> that, pissing that, her pants, and Jared's that, like, "Oh fuck Russia," you know, like. See, I was right. They would be so pissed if they found out you broke kayfabe no, and told they, us about polo. No, well, I think that's part of it. Like, like they were in character. I was so pissed off, and then they're ready to fight the KGB. <laughs> yeah. They were they were in character, and we were like we had to flee. So we finally get, we get to the plane, we go to Moscow, and that's where they, they took the three primary members of the Bloodhound Gang and took the crew. And some of the people that like, work for the Bloodhound Gang also work for Krista Berg, who's big in Russia. And like, are you going to take our visas? You know, we work for Krista Berg, Lady in Red. Wow. And then, you know, those guys were put in the cell like two days after Edwards, Edward Snowden was in there. Jeez. And then they're like, do you have... Uh, you have your funny mask, like, for your disguises. I'm like, why the fuck would we have, like, disguises? Yeah, like, it's pre-COVID. No, no one's wearing a mask. So, like, uh, where's your funny Google eyes? Like, you need, to, um, you need to hide. So they took us through all these secret compartments of the Moscow airport, wanted to give us, do, like, a press conference, which we, they wouldn't do. And the whole time, Jared's walking close to me. I'm like, get the fuck away from me. Because I thought they were going to shoot a dart at us or something. <laughs> so... We had to go to, uh, we went to Turkey, and the other guys, the other people from different countries went to uh, somewhere else. It was pretty interesting. Was that the final day of the tour? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then Eric picked me up at the airport. But, wow. And the funny thing about that is I pick him up at the airport, and, you know, Tom's done a lot of touring in, in America, and he's always getting sick. He's always getting sick. Like, you know, he'll be like two weeks into the tour, he'll be like, oh, I stubbed my toe, and now my toe hurts. And I had to go to the hospital or something like that. So when you're in Russia or when you're like, you know, this is a big job and it's a big tour. And I'm like, whatever you do, don't get sick, you know. Comes home. He texts me like, you know, this is where my flight is, whatever. I pick him up from the airport. He's getting in my car and I go, hey, Tom, how's it going? See, you didn't die. And his whole face like turns white. Did you goes, know about the no, story? No, yeah, because it, it, it was it was really like quick. The day before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he goes, yeah. Uh, I gotta tell you what happened. <laughs> well, Bad Luck's gotta step their game up. Let's yeah. be honest. It's true. Russia when, would love you. When's that, the last time? Bad, bad, bad Luck thirteen sucks up to the ugly arches and like you know they they like that. You're friends with the with all the crazy Russian uh, biker gangs and everything. That's there is a Russian there. band doing a, yeah. a yeah. cover of one of our songs. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they sing it in Russian. Bad Luck's never left the country. Wow. Well, I wonder why. You can't, yeah. can't bring the gimmick across state lines. Yeah. Eat the turnbuckles. Yeah. All we do is leave the country. <laughs> they won't have you. Yeah, right? Too extreme for Philadelphia. Yeah. I I've, I've, have been in two riots at a wrestling show. One's, one as a fan and one as a wrestler. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Not but, nearly as life-threatening as your horrific... Where were they at? Uh, one was in um, uh, Austria... Um, 
And uh, it was funny because um, when we went, it was like one of those German wrestling shows where you wrestle like 10 days in a row at the same venue. Like they, that's how they do wrestling. Was it like the camps? They'd, and the... um, it was in a mall. We were wrestling like in the big center of the mall with like the, all the levels above us. And it was, I think it was like you had to pay to get in at the ground floor, but people just went to the other levels and did it. And it was, um, uh, uh, Ian Rotten was there, uh, 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 Ulf Herman, old ECW guy, um, Michael Kovac, uh, um, a Europe, very European guy, bunches of different people. And it was, it was thoroughly fun. It was, I, had a, I, had a, I had a ball. But the, the booker said, we're going to do like a, a tournament and we're going to do like a 70. These people are so behind on wrestling. If we do like stuff that people would be bored by in the United States, like a 70s, 80s style, just baby face heel stuff, it'll get over. And the, it culminated in um, uh, uh, one of the things was uh, Ulf Herman versus Ian Rotten. And Ian Rotten broke a beer bottle over Ulf Herman's head. And... You know, in, the, in wrestling in the 90s, not a showstopper in the United States, right? It sparked a riot there. And the <laughs> dressing room was three stories up in the gym. So before your match, you had to start like down there. And I'm in, you know, I'm jerking the curtain. So I'm up in the, in the locker room, right? And someone runs in, there's a riot, you got to go down. So I had to frickin' run down like three flights of stairs to get there, and there's a riot. Like the fans are out there. Why wouldn't you just stay upstairs? Because that's not what you do. <laughs> when you, 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 go got, you got it. You got to. Mm -hmm. The wrestlers are getting attacked. You got to protect them. You go down there, and <laughs> right the whole time the in their head, I'm like, "This is great, right?" But it got a little serious. We there a lot of the wrestlers that we worked. The local guys were just bikers who were really not trained, and they were super nice. They were super nice, and we, um, uh, they were there, and the, some guy was in the crowd, and he had a, uh, a, a mat knife, a, a utility knife, and he was going after the heel manager um, who was the booker, and he was sneaking up behind him to cut him open, and one of the <laughs> bikers just picked up a chair and flattened this guy and everybody just started kicking him when he was on the ground, and that's when the cops came. It was very fun. <laughs> Not for that guy. But he was literally saying, uh, the, the hustler was the guy saying, he had a pool gimmick, right? The hustler must taught, the way, like I must kill the hustler, right? And it was fun up to the point of somebody was gonna get cut if it didn't, we didn't notice it. And we were like, we should be selling more tickets now, but it, they were freaking out like that. We were like, no, this is heat. This is good. This is great. And they were like, oh, no, we're going to. We're like, ah, whatever. You know, but it was fun. It was fun. And then hanging out with the bikers was good, too. I had to work a lot of the bikers. I had tattoos. So this was the state of the booking, and they had tattoos. So I had to work a lot of the bikers, and they were very stiff. And then as a fan? As a fan, one of my favorite shows I ever saw, the combination double A, or excuse me, triple A, the Mexican Lucha uh, Federation. You're in Mexico? No, this oh. was in uh, the uh, Chicago Amphitheater, um, which was built for wrestling and was it cow, when worlds cow shows. Collide? What's that? Was it the One Worlds Collide thing in Chicago? Um, no, it was the, um, uh, uh, no, the, it, what do they call it? 
Triple Mania when they do the, the yearly shows. And ECW and AAA, Conan was the connection. They were doing crossover shows thinking this would help. And they only did two or three of them. And this was one, there is literally no videotape of it. There is very few photographs of it. But Terry Funk started a riot, of course. And we went, uh, one of the ECW refs was friends with my friends in Chicago. And they're like, oh, you know, let's go. So we went and we were literally, aside from the wrestlers, we were like the only gringos there. Mm. Everything else, because there's lots of, Mexica, lots of Mexicans in Chicago. Oh, a couple. Of and the whole arena, it's a beautiful arena. It's all made out of concrete. And that's, they used to have political rallies there and hockey games and stuff. It's great. And Terry, um, uh, Pero Guayo Sr., who's, who's like the Dusty Roads of, of Mexico, was getting an award. We all know what's going to happen. He's getting like a big plaque, you know. And Terry Funk comes out and starts running down Mexico and <laughs> smashes the plaque over Paraguayo. You like like Dusty Rhodes, Like just like starts bleeding instantly. And there was a huge riot. And there, first of all, that venue had the best food I've ever had at wrestling. There was like fresh fruit and, and tacos and burritos. <laughs> And nachos and stuff. So we were totally, we were in the front row. So we were totally covered in food and beer because we were, the, like I said, the only gabachos there, right? And we had a, 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 Margaret was with us, this young girl. So we were all like, we got to get out of here. You know, we got to protect. The security guards were these huge Mexican guys with guns and cowboy boots and big sheriff's hats. And we're like, I don't want to mess with them and I don't want to mess with the crowd. And Terry Funk is there. They're fighting on the way. We're like, we got to get out of here. Like, it's just not safe. We so we got out of there. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen. First time I ever saw a flaming table break. It was so far ahead of what everyone could see that they didn't understand a lot of it. Anyway, like a year or two later, we're ha I got in, I got, we were having lunch outside the Rosemont Horizon. It, uh, uh, Mick Foley had just debuted as Mankind, and he was having lunch with us and a bunch of wrestling fans and a couple, um, maybe one or two other wrestlers. And we went to this diner that's right outside the parking lot there. And I made my future wife sit on Mick Foley's earless side. And she's like, oh, he was so nice. He was just showing me pictures of his wife, who's incredibly beautiful. And his kids who like, like little angels and it's Mick Foley. Kane Dewey. What's that? Kane <laughs> I, Dewey. I, I didn't want, you know, I was starting to wrestle by then. So I didn't want to be a big mark, but I had to like, Mick Foley was my hero then. And I, all I had to say was, uh, Mr. Foley, I was at that uh, show in the, in the, in the uh, Universal Amphitheater. He was like, the riot? I went, yeah. He goes, <laughs> he says, that was crazy. So, he says he's in the locker room with Sabu, and they get a call. Terry Funk just started a riot. We need your help. So they run out. They grab chairs, you and they're trying something. to get Funk back to the locker room. They're dragging him back, and he's like, he's like, Foley's like, it's like Night of the Living Dead. People are trying to stick their hands in the door. We're trying to close the door. Finally, we close the door. I turn around to Sabu, who's lighting a cigarette, and says... Oh my God, that was crazy. I've never been in a riot like that. And Sabu, and Sabu goes, where's, where's Terry? Where's Funk? 
And we're like, oh my God, he's still out there. They had to go back out and he says, Terry Funk is in the middle and all these Mexicans are around him, circling him. And he has his belt off and he's whipping the air going, <laughs> come on, you beaters, it. I'll get all of you. I'll get you all down. And we're, they're like, they grab him before they figure out that there's like two, 300 of them. I mean, this place is huge and it was packed. And there's just one crazy Terry Funk. They grab Funk and they bring him back successfully to the locker room. Close the door. And Funk's like, this is great. We got so much heat. We're going to pack the place. They're like, Terry, we're not having another show back here. This is a one-off. What are you doing? So that was, that was the follow-up to that. And that was always, I was very happy. I recently contacted John Aretzi, who, who uh, um, booked that show and ran it. And I was like, I remember this riot. Can you confirm this for me? Because, like I said, there's no footage of this event or acknowledgement of it, on, except one or two places online. He goes, yeah, I remember it distinctly. So there you go. They could have called Joe Burns to film it. It's a shame. But we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, you want to, uh, it, well, it's, it's nice to hear that Rocco survived two riots. Two. And, uh, Wrestling Tom, riots. I've been uh, in other great riots. having you in here tonight. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. It's great. It's great. But uh, we're going to uh, wrap this up, do the uh, little bit of news from this uh, past week. You want to sit in with us and yeah, yeah. Uh, finish it up. So we had the uh, AEW Revolution pay-per-view, uh, big pay-per-view. I still see Rocco, everybody's shirts on. Rocco was right oh. about his prediction. Uh, we are now getting shirtless as requested. Oh, my Lord. So it's Rocco us. made the big prediction that it was going to be Christian. Um, I believe I had uh, Kurt Angle and Jay. I had Eric Rowan. Eric Rowan. No, no, I still think that was the best guess. That'll be next week. Yeah, okay. And then you'll we'll go pantsless. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta wait a week. The Young Bucks retain their tag team titles and uh, avenged uh, their father's uh, beating uh, on MJF and Chris Jericho. I like, I like that match. La Champion. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about the exploding barbed wire death match that, that we did was, a whole episode about? And that was the uh, and the main <laughs> event uh, with a little bit of help from the Good Brothers, Kenny Omega. Defeated John Moxley in an exploding barbed wire death match, mm-hmm. and and I was upset immediately that there was ropes. <laughs> first off, so most people are obviously upset that the ending was a dud, no pun intended. But Jay uh, is pointing out that only three sides were covered in barbed wire. No, not that. Just that the ropes no. were up, and okay. that there was ropes at all, and wire. they had ropes. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the, expl- the explosions on the ropes were good. The landmines outside were weak, but they only used them once or twice. But that last explosion, I expected a T-shirt to pop out because it looked like a T-shirt gun. This I is a high-budget wrestling event. I, I they, just always love I yeah. this, just This is like people talking about opera. They're like, <laughs> they're like you know, the explosions were great, but the... The mines. Tom, did you watch the match? Yeah, I did watch it. What did you think? Match was great. Match was great. Um, I think Eddie Kingston was doing his job, whether or not oh, sparklers yeah. went off. Right. Um, it, it, no, I'm talking a great uh, tale. Great match. Production-wise, everyone needs to be fired. Yeah. No, produ- from a production standpoint, it was like Absolutely. super podunk. Like you would yeah. expect that from like Impact. I, right. I, but like even. We talked about it last last time. Even the the, the most famous in the United States uh, Japanese exploding match one that ninety five King of the Death that had a very relatively disappointing explosion, and that was 
Foley talks about that. And Foley tweeted a couple times this week and acknowledged it as well. Like, they didn't know how to sell it at the end because the explosion was very disappointing there. World's better than the AEW one, but it gives you that, that videotape as such a good ending with them wandering out into the ambulances with Funk calling for... Terry, Terry. Right, but look out. at that match compared to... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You mean, don't even need the explosion. Yeah, the exactly. The, those guys, they, when they were landing on the landmines, they were literally on fire. Right, there like, was like burning There's like, like, like Terry, yeah. yeah, yeah, like yeah going through the Terry Funk's yeah. back is all like on fire. Right. It's unbelievable. And, but <laughs> I, I was sad as a, as, a, as a consumer, as a fan, watching it like, oh, man... And then, but also just sad in the general nerd sense of this is setting back exploding barbed wire matches in the United States by decades. You know, like <laughs> you it's disappointing. That it should be commercialized because that's no. I, I was that. hoping that it would be good and it would popularize it to a certain extent. Not that I want an exploding barbed wire match and such every pay per view. One or two a year would be nice if they did a good job and it made people and did it and, and successfully pulled it off. It, it would have made it, but now it, to do another one, everyone will always be com- harking back to this and have the If they went this. all out and did an actual real crazy one, just like we were talking, like when we would go see ECW or whatever, imagine how many people would start going to watch independent wrestling matches, like GCW and stuff. Well, after seeing, they would be like, what the fuck did I just watch? You I know? mean, that's another thing, though. Uh, like you already have like a barbed wire match in every other independent wrestling match. As a guy who runs a, a smaller venue, could you imagine these guys, these carnies trying to bring in a, a pyro and explosives into your club? I mean, come on. It was outside. No, but I mean in general. Like now, if they want to start doing exploding barbed wire death matches, I'm just saying it would open, open the, people's the, eyes up, like, level. and then you know, yeah. other CCW people, right, from it right, and, other people would be like, well, there's a whole, you know. Yeah. Genre of people right. doing this it, over it, it here. Would, it would have given promoters more, another thing to choose from to do, you know. And, and I, I mean, I'm a, as a fan of that, I wanted to see more. And I felt, I was, I mean, I was personally disappointed, but I felt like it will negatively affect seeing those matches again. Not as in just the memory of it, but, you know, it's tainted. It's, it's bastardized. Tainted. Yeah. I, I equate it to like a punk band signed to a major label. Like you get the Bad Brains record on Maverick and it's reggae. You know, like it doesn't meet well, your expectation. That was a good record. You, you, no, it wasn't. That like God of Love, crazy. Is, you know, Jesus, man, that's so bad. You, you like crazy. the cover? It looks like a fish cover. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like expectations, and when you commercialize something like Praise that, Praise be John. But I, but it wasn't just that they didn't. It wasn't just that they watered it down or diluted it to so it would not be uh, uh, as controversial. It they they fucked it up. They fucked it up, and 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 it was an accident. But come on, like, how can you not have you, so much of their other things they do is so professional looking and so well done. And like, if they say, we're going to do a match in a baseball, in a football stadium, they pull it off. You know, we're going to do this. They pull it off. But this, you, this how, is the one thing that they didn't pull. How off. weak was the barbed wire to begin with? I mean, there, no one got stuck in it. 
They weren't like wrapped like in baby it. steps. I was right. ha- I was happy with the match. Talk about itself. the ECW bloodthirsty yeah. crowd. I, I was happy. These guys with- are happy. No, but oh man, no one died. Right. Can't I believe was it. I was happy stitches. with the match as is. John Moxley's gonna see his baby. Uh, John Moxley's getting paid how much for this match? That's why he's not. It's, and you're saying that's why he shouldn't. No, That's well, why I, these guys I, don't do it. I just, but imagine if you gave real. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Imagine if you gave uh, like Schlack and Nick Gage five hundred thousand dollars each to do a, a national televised barbed wire match. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then what think, would you get? I don't think either one would make it out alive. They wouldn't. We wouldn't have the we mentality would, of oh, we don't really need to get we hurt would, anymore. We would see tendons exposed. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's how it should be because both of those, you know, those I guys are. They've done. I don't this. blame them. Yeah, I, I don't blame them though. Yeah. Well, uh, I blame them. Where, where else can they find out more about the Rock and Wrestling Connection, Jay? Well, yeah. Let's see. Where are you going? Jay likes to tell us. No, he likes. Yeah. Well, well, what what you're doing now is uh, Jay has a better radio voice. I've than got you. notes. My my radio voice is weakened. These so yeah, an, another sure, great it. episode of the uh, books, and uh, Jay's going to tell us uh, where on social media. And there's a big rumor going around that our Instagram might get taken over by Rocco. It's we, just, I've been we, hearing it through the grapevine. I, I think that would be so selling out on my. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll on see. our Twitter, it's Rock ND Wrestling. That's our Twitter. Yeah. And make sure you check these things because we actually ha- we have a lot of uh, good <laughs> guests coming up too. Yeah, big right. time Future, guess. we might have one of, ready for this? I'm one ready. of the most famous wrestlers of all time in here next We week. might have one of the biggest internet right. sensations in yes. the history. Our Instagram, Rock and Wrestling Connection. TikTok, Jay, you are a famous TikTok oh star yeah, at this thank point. You. Thank you. Uh, you at Rock and Wrestling Pod. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Anytime wrestling's on and Jay's doing his TikTok uh, announcing, it's marvelous. It, it's enervating. It yeah. makes my blood pressure go up. It's See great. us on Facebook at Rock and Wrestling Connection. All right. Thank, thank you, yeah, Jason. Thank you. All right. And I will see you all next week. Anyway, I can't wait to see who that guest is. Oh, oh we got a few big ones. Big ones. Big ones. No big spoilers. Ones. Peace.